Father, our prayer this morning is quite simple. It's the same one that David prayed many years ago. We simply ask that you would show us your ways, O Lord, and teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in any sport with a ball... One of the first things that you're taught is to keep your eye on the ball. If you take your son or daughter in the backyard and playing baseball with them and they swing and miss, what's the first thing you say? You took your eye off the ball. If you've ever tried to play golf and your shots go haywire like mine usually do, what's one of the first diagnoses? You've taken your eye off the ball. That's why we love the wildcat offense in football that's kind of taking the NFL by storm in a few cities because you never know who's going to get the ball when that fullback crosses. And, and the defense is fixed on one thing. Where is the ball? Because if they don't know where the ball is, they're not going to be able to tackle and they're going to lose on the play. Or in basketball, I love a, a move that Rajon Rondo of the Celtics has. He's got those great big hands and he can palm a ball and he'll be driving to the hoop and he'll bring the ball this direction and then he'll put it back here behind his back and the defense loses sight of the ball for a minute and they don't know if he's going to go behind his back with the shovel pass or come up and score. And the defense is trying to do one thing. They're trying to keep their eye on the ball because you have to do that if you're going to stay in the game. And the same thing is true for us as Christians that we need to keep our spiritual eye on the spiritual ball. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing here in John chapter 4. And he was teaching his disciples what that spiritual ball was. And as we take a look at this chapter, we're going to see why Pastor Mark told us last week that missions is not optional. And we're also going to see why it's the most satisfying thing that you could ever invest your time in. Now, most of you know the setting of this story well. Jesus had been down in Judea, in Jerusalem, ministering. And he was going to go back up to Galilee, about 80 miles north. And so he had walked with his disciples already this day for about four or five hours. 30 miles they had covered. And it was noon. And as they got to the town of Sychar, they were starving. They were hungry. And the disciples had one thing on their mind when they got there, and that was, we need to round up some food. And so earlier in the chapter, it says that the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. They had their minds fixed on one ball. Jesus had his mind on another ball. And as he sat there by the well, a woman came out from the city and Jesus began to engage her in conversation. Now, the topic of their conversation is another whole sermon in and of itself. And I'm not going to get into that because I want to follow what happened next at the end of that conversation. Because the disciples come back and they say, Jesus, eat some food. And Jesus says to them, in effect, I don't really need that food that you have because I have some other food that is more nourishing for me. I have my own food. And that's what we want to look at today. Look at verse 34 of John chapter 4. This is our theme verse for this morning. And really the only verse that we're going to focus in on because there's plenty in this verse for us to learn from and be challenged by this morning. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And those are our three points. Can you say the verse with me? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is our sermon for this morning. We're going to start with the phrase in the middle, doing the will of him 
who sent me. What is the will of the Father? Well, we've summarized it as a church in our vision statement that we exist to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. Doing the will of the Father is following Jesus. And we've defined that in three main ways, exalting Christ, experiencing community, and embracing a calling. And today we're going to see from John 4 what embracing a calling is all about as we try to fulfill the will of the Father. Now, I did some work thinking about this because I know missions is sort of new for many of you and and sort of maybe a side issue in your lives. You're not very involved or connected with it. And if you're new in the faith, this whole idea may be new. You may be wondering why we're concerned about people across borders when we have so many needs here in America. And and I just put together a what I've called a spiritual development clock. And if you'll just bear with me for a couple of minutes, I want to show you where missions, I think, fits into the overall picture of the Christian life. Now, there are things as Christians that we need to be knowing. There are things that we need to be being. And there are things that we need to be doing. The Christian life is not just about knowing. And surprisingly enough, it's not just about being, although those things are important. There are things that we need to do. And that's what Jesus said in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, there's lots of things we need to know. We need to know about creation and the attributes of God and the Trinity Relative to Jesus, we need to know his person and the work that he came to do. And as we learn these things, then we come up to the six o'clock hour, which is that hour of putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we, We become rescued at this point, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. But the story doesn't end here. We need to let this clock continue to develop. And then we move into the being part of our relationship with Christ and, and there is personal holiness that we need to become more and more like Christ. We need to exhibit him in our family relationships as parents and children, husband and wife. And we need to be being like Jesus in the church as well and enjoying the relationships we have together. But that's not the end of the story because there's another quadrant left. There's nine to twelve o'clock left. And that is the doing part. And there are many things that we need to be doing. We need to be involved in personal witness where we are. We need to be involved in reaching our community and our nation with the message of Jesus Christ to be salt and light where God has put us. But the 11 o'clock hour to 12 is the one we're focusing on today. Global missions. It's one twelfth of the overall pie, but the pie is not complete without it. Now, knowing involves relating to God as the Godhead and knowing about him. That's more the academic knowledge then Christ is the one that allows us to relate to God. And and we move into the Hebrew understanding of the word knowing, where it's not just intellectual, but it becomes a personal relationship. And then once that happens, it's the Holy Spirit that now takes center stage as he moves in our lives to make us become more like Christ. And in the doing quadrant, the focus is on others as we make God known to them. So that's where missions fits into this whole thing. It's one slice of the pie, but we need to understand what the will of God is. And we need to complete this 11 to 12 o'clock hour. You see, there are things that God wants because he has a will. Did you know that? He's not just a power, a force out there. He's a person. And he has things that he wants to have done. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, 17... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so I want to help you this morning from the word of God to figure out what the will of the Lord is. For some of you that are visiting today, the first thing that you might need to do to fulfill the will of the Father is 
to drink of the water that Jesus has to offer. Jesus offered to this Samaritan woman in verse 13 water that if you drink of it, he says you will never be thirsty again. Some of you are not believers in Jesus today and we're glad that you're here. You're somewhere in the one to five o'clock hour. You've been learning about it. God wants you to come today and to express faith in Jesus Christ and to drink of him, to make him your own savior. And he promises that if you do that, you will have your deep spiritual needs met in him. And if you're In that position this morning, I'd love to talk to you or we'll have people at the front at the end of the service that can explain to you more about how to drink the living water that Jesus has to offer. But most of you have already drunk of that. And for you, what is his will? Well, certainly it's the whole Bible. We need to do everything that he said. But but right here in this text, what was Jesus referring to? He was talking about ministry. He was talking about sharing the words of life with a thirsty person, this Samaritan woman. And so we need to believe in God. We need to become like God as the Holy Spirit changes us. But then we need to step out of ourselves and begin to let God use us to reach others with the message of eternal life. And you might be saying as you hear that today, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. I I just appreciate what God has done for me and I've taken my salvation and that's all. I want to stop at six o'clock. Or maybe you've said, I'll I'll go ahead and let God change me. I'll give up some things and I'll try to become more holy, but I'm going to stop at nine o'clock. And let me say that if you're serious about following Jesus, that's not an option for you. You have to go clear around to 12 o'clock. And the problem there, of course, is that when you get somebody's will that conflicts with your own will, then we've got a a little bit of a struggle on our hands. And, And let me explain that with this that I think I've shown maybe once before, but it's worth repeating again. Jeremy is a perfect example of most of us. He's the 15-year-old teenager uh, sitting on the couch with his mother and the phone rings in the kitchen. His mother goes in to answer it and Jeremy says from the other end of the line, it's me, as long as you're in the kitchen, could you bring me some chips and salsa? (laughs) Now that's funny, especially if you've ever had a teenager in your house. What are teenagers thinking about? themselves. Their whole world revolves around what I want. And all of their decisions are made relative to that singular issue. And so the first thing that you and I need to decide today is if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't be like Jeremy. We need to come and say, I'm going to do not my will, but the will of the Father in heaven. So as Kenneth Boa said, We cannot follow Jesus when we're asking him to follow us. And so which way is it going to be for you this morning? Are you serious about following Jesus? Then you'll be serious about doing the will of the Father. The second point, Jesus said at the beginning of that verse, my food. What a great analogy Jesus used here. I mean, this is an illustration that goes across cultures and centuries. Because everybody understands the value of food. I don't think there's anybody here who doesn't like to eat. Would that be an accurate statement? Uh, Maybe if you've got a three-year-old at home that's sort of picky about what they eat, you're working on them and kind of developing that. But listen, once you figure it out, then there's no turning back, right? Food is something that we love to do. We, We don't live for it, but we spend a lot of our time thinking about food, don't we? In fact, if I had a 
mind reading ability and could look at your minds, I'll bet some of you have already, even since I've been preaching, thought about what you're going to have for lunch. Anybody in that boat? We had a couple of... Yeah, all right. Appreciate the honesty there. Because what is food? Food is something that we enjoy. We love to eat it. It's something that we need as well for our strength and our nourishment. And if our food comes even an hour or two late, we start to get grumpy. And you and I have never experienced this, but food is even more serious than that. Because if it came to where we couldn't even get food, or if there was a scarcity of food in our country, we would get more than grumpy. Do you know what we would start doing? We would start fighting with each other for the little bit of food that was left. That's how desperate we are for food. And we need it kind of on the hour every hour, some of us. That's how important it is for us. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, my food, what I live for, what I need to feed my soul and nourish me, is to do the will of not myself, but the one who sent me. I wonder if some of you are even thinking about pizza right now. Because you just can't get your mind off that one track. It's, it's, it's how we are and it's how we live. And, and Jesus said in this verse, he said, my food, and it's emphatic in the Greek. He put the my first because he's contrasting it with their food. And this was their food. Look back at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You see, they've come back from Sychar. They're at the well and they've got their boxes of pizza. And they've got one thing on their mind, and that is digging in because they're famished from the long journey that they've had. And Jesus says, now that might be your food, but he says, I have food to eat, verse 32, that you know nothing about. What an indictment on the disciples. They had left everything to follow him. They had heard his teachings. They had seen some miracles already. And yet Jesus says that, the thing that I have come to do that is my very existence and, and energy in life is something that you don't know anything about. You've got your minds on the pizza and I'm thinking about the woman who has a spiritual need. How is it with you this morning? If you look closely, what's in your hands? What's on your schedule? What is occupying your time and energy? Are you... So preoccupied with the things of the world that you have no spiritual eyes to see the things of God? Are you living for maybe that new car that you just can't wait to get in? Or upgrading your home? Or getting a new set of clothes? What is it that drives you Monday to Saturday? What is that thing that gives you energy in life? Is it your will your comfort, your satisfaction, or is it the will of your Father in heaven? Now notice something else here. Do you want me to take that off? That might be a little tempting for everybody. You who are Christian hedonists this morning, let me have a word for you. Now, if you don't know what that is, you're probably not one. But a Christian hedonist is somebody who's read John Piper and and. And said it like this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that is exactly right. But what I want to point out this morning is that our satisfaction in God, according to this verse, is not just from our personal relationship with him in our prayer closet. And it's not just from connecting with him here at church. 
But it's also in doing the will of the Father. So you can't be completely satisfied in God if you're just sitting home and be trying to be a good Christian. Yes, there are things you need to know and continue to learn about God and about Christ. There are things that need to change in your life as you become more like Him. But to fully experience the fullness of God and the joy that He has for us, according to Jesus' words, we must also be doing the will of the Father. And so I'd like to coin a new term, if I can, a Christian Epicurean. And what does that mean? An Epicurean is a person who cultivates a refined taste in food. And my question for you this morning is, spiritually, are you living on course fare? Or have you developed a refined taste like your master Jesus? Jesus knew what real food was. And it wasn't the pizza from Sychar. It was the witnessing to the Samaritan woman. Now, how does that work? How can doing somebody else's will actually taste good to us? Well, I want to help you understand that because it's important to understanding this verse. And until we get this, we're going to just walk away thinking, oh, Nate's just given us another thing to do on my list. In fact, that's why I hate coming to missions conferences because they just tell me to do more stuff. Well, if, if you feel that way, then you haven't understood this point, And let me explain it to you this way. Uh, week before last, my wife had a fairly significant birthday in her life. And I won't tell you which one it was because she's here. Uh, but it was significant enough that I thought I needed to get her something kind of major. Okay? She's young like I am, so you can take your guess at how old she turned. Well... She loves to play the piano. She loves music. And we had an old piano that didn't keep tune and she hadn't played it for years. And so I thought if I could get a used piano and sort of get it in there and set up, this would be a wonderful way to celebrate her birthday. So uh, Ryan Couts had actually done this last year with his wife and I copied the idea, took Marty out for dinner. Bob Bonner brought the new piano, moved it into the house while we were out for dinner, took the old piano away. And when we came home from dinner, there was my father playing Happy Birthday and my family singing Happy Birthday to Marty as she walked in the door. Now, it took her just a minute to realize that the piano had actually morphed. It had, <laughs> it had transformed. But once she saw it, her eyes went like this and she couldn't believe that now she had a new piano, new for us. Now, the point I want to make is this. Was that a difficult thing for me to do for her? It was not at all. Because the joy in doing someone's will comes in the oneness of the two people. It's in the relationship that exists. And because I love her and we've become one more and more over the 29 years that we've been married, I want to do her will. Because that gives me joy and satisfaction. Now, there are some birthdays where it's like, I still don't know what to get her. And, you know, that's a challenge. But it's not just a drudgery because I try to enter into her will and I try to do that will. And when I do it, how did I feel that night that I feel like, oh, doggone it. I wish I hadn't had to go get that piano for my wife. No, I felt great joy and satisfaction because I had fulfilled her even unexpressed will. And that, I think, is what Jesus is getting at in verse 34. Jesus is saying, I am so one with the Father that His will and mine are the same. And so when I do His will, I'm doing my will, and that satisfies me, that fills my soul up. That's what I'm living for. And His disciples had gotten their eye completely off of that ball, and all they could think about was their stomachs. 
You see, it's not the sheer doing and the obedience that brings joy. It's the oneness in the relationship that comes from understanding and then fulfilling the will of the one that you love. So Matthew Henry says, Never did a hungry man or an epicure expect a plentiful feast with so much desire, nor feed upon its dainties with so much delight as our Lord Jesus did from an opportunity of doing good to souls. So the question for you this morning is, do you know something about this food? Or when you hear Pastor Mark say missions is not an option, do you groan? Say, one more thing to do. When we talk about this commitment card that we're going to be talking about later in the service, is your reaction, well, if they insist, I'll fill something out on this card and throw it in, but I just can't wait to get back to the things I really enjoy doing in life. And if that's the way you feel, let me suggest that you don't understand the second point, that our food needs to be doing the will of not ourselves, but of him who sent us. And then thirdly, It says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is a very important word and we need to understand it. It's not hard, I think, lexically to understand what the word means. It's it's translated finish or accomplished. It's used for achieving a goal or for finishing a race. When somebody's run a mile race, when they've done their four laps, they don't keep running. They're done. They've accomplished the work. And if you're a parent of children, you can easily understand what this word means. If you tell your, one of your children to do the dishes and clean up the kitchen, what is your expectation? That they would do how much of it? You know, we had a girl first hour, about six years old, she said, to do one dish. And I thought, that's perfect. Because that's how the kids view it. They just want to do something related to what you told them to do. But they don't want to finish the work because that's too hard. And yet what's in your mind is that you want them to actually finish the whole job. You want all the dishes washed, dried, put away, and the countertop cleaned, right? And then the job is what? It's finished. It's completed. Or it may look like this if you tell your son to mow the yard. Can I quit preaching now? Did you get the picture? What was the problem with that guy mowing the yard? did, Did he do the work? He did the work, but he didn't finish the work. And didn't you just kind of want to scoot him over onto the left side of the lawn? Like, would you get over there and do that part? And let me just say, we have an unbelievable tech team and worship arts crew here at church. They have spent hours getting ready for this service and put this video together. You guys have done a fabulous job. Thank you very much for that. Because I think you're going to forget everything in the sermon, but I hope you remember that image right there. The third point of our sermon is that We must not just do the work, we must finish the work. Now, what was Jesus thinking about here when he said that? Well, I think for himself, he was probably looking down the road about three years when what it would mean for Jesus himself to finish the work would be to give his life on the cross, to suffer for our sins. What if Jesus quit before then? You and I would be in deep trouble. But Jesus understood that finishing the work of the Father would mean suffering and pain. And he was willing to embrace that. But here in John 4, he was thinking specifically of this woman whom he had to meet. In fact, it's interesting in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. And that's actually not the case at all. 
Because a Jew typically who would go from Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north would never go through Samaria because that's where the despised half-breed Samaritans lived and they didn't want to ever have to rub shoulders with them. So what the Jews would do is they would literally cross the Jordan River, go up the east side and come back across the Jordan River into Galilee. That was the route that a Jew would take. And yet scripture says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? The answer, there was an unreached woman in Samaria. Why could not Jesus have just stayed in Jerusalem and continued to minister? There were thousands there who had not yet heard his teaching or put their faith in him. He could have spent all of his years of ministering right there in Jerusalem. But Jesus said, no, my job is bigger than that. And I have got to go through Samaria because I've got to reach this woman and through her, her whole town. And did you notice a church started there? And suddenly this area was no longer unreached because people there understood that Jesus was the only savior of the world. Because Jesus went out of his way to finish the work of the Father. And this was actually Jesus' mission. He came to seek and to save the lost, he says. Not just some of the lost, but all of the lost. The passage that Marty read for us from Isaiah 49 was a prophecy about Jesus, that it would be too small a thing for him to come and do what he did if it only brought salvation to the Jews. God said, I will make you a light to the nations that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's a job that Jesus did not accomplish in his physical body. But it's a job that he gave now to his spiritual body, the church. And Paul understood that completely. And Paul says in Acts 13, 47, that this is what the Lord has now commanded us. And he quotes those same verses from Isaiah 49, 5 and 6, that we should be a light to the nations and that we should bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. And so what does finishing the job or completing the task mean for us? Well, we, we can't fill in that blank ourselves. And it's not just something that you can say, well, I'm just trying to get through life. All right. Don't bother me with some other stuff. I am struggling with just getting my kids raised and getting them through school and paying for their college bills. And and if I can just do all that and come to church once in a while, that's that's my race. And that's what I have to finish. If that's your world, it is too small because God has given his church a larger task and he's made it very clear what that task is. Every time that Jesus met with his disciples, it's recorded in the Gospels after his death and resurrection. He repeated this commission to them in various words. But essentially, the task is this to make disciples of all nations. And we need to be clear on that assignment, because if we're not, we're going to go haywire. We're going to get off course. Even if we're a couple of degrees off from that assignment, we're going to end up down the road doing completely different things and not finishing his work. Now, notice what the work is not. The work is not to make everybody in the world healthy. The work is not to improve the economic condition of everybody in the world. The work is not to bring world peace or to protect the environment. And the work is also, and and listen carefully, it is also not this. It is not making everybody in the world live according to our moral standards. The work is making disciples of all nations. And when they become disciples, they may involve themselves in some of those good works for sure. But those are not the center of the task. The very bullseye of the work that God has given us to do is to make disciples of all 16,000 nations or people groups in the world. 
There are many good causes in the world. You may be involved in some of them. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you must be involved in this cause. Jesus warned us. He said, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. This food that we work for in finishing the will of the Father is going to be something that endures to eternal life. So my question is, how are we doing on this job? We need to know that, don't we? If our job as disciples is to finish the work he's given, and if the work is to make disciples of 16,000 people groups in the world, then how are we doing? Are we just busy for the Father, or are we actually finishing his work? And there's a couple of options we have here. Here's one direction that we might go as we face that question. Two guys in a bar, one says, yeah, I used to get depressed watching the news too. Then I discovered the miracle of apathy. So you you could easily walk out of here today without feeling any problems at all. Just, Just shut it all out and say, I don't care what's happening. But then you wouldn't really be a very good follower of Jesus, would you? Because Jesus came to finish the work of the Father. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to do what he did. And you need to finish the work. And so here's a report, just a real brief summary of where we're at in this job. Out of 16,000 people in the world, about 10,000 have already been reached. That's the good news. In fact, in the last century, the Christian church has grown by leaps and bounds around the world. So that now there are more believers in the southern hemisphere than in the northern hemisphere for the first time in history. Much has been accomplished. And that's the good news. There are churches in 10,000 people groups around the world, including our great nation. But what's the bad news? The bad news is that there are 6,000 people groups left that constitute 2.7 billion people or 40% of the world's population. So we're a little bit over halfway there. That's the good news. The bad news is we've got a little bit less than half of the work yet to do. And the really bad news is this that those are the toughest people groups to reach. You see, we've already picked most of the low-hanging fruit in the world, people that are eager to respond to the gospel. And now there are those hardcore peoples around the world that don't like us. They don't want to hear our message. They don't want us to live there. They might even threaten us. They live in hot climates. They have bugs and things in their culture. and, And we might get sick if we go there. And so what do you and I do? We say, well, I'm not doing that. And my question to you this morning is, how then are we going to finish the work of the Father? He's told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And if he sees us goofing around, if he sees us distracted and involved in other things and spending our time on things that do not accomplish that goal, he's not going to be very happy. In fact, worse than that, he's going to be dishonored. Because here's another way to take a quick look at that as we saw from our video. You see, the two parts of the lawn represent two parts of the world. There is a reached part. And and the things that Dave was doing on the right side were all good. He was mowing and fertilizing and trimming and working very hard. Nothing wrong with that. But what was the problem with that whole picture? Is that there was another whole side of the yard that he had forgotten. And this side of the yard we now call the 1040 window. Because most of those unreached people groups live in this part of the world. And here's another way to take a look at that. The least evangelized people groups in the world are the red dots on this map. And as we look at that, we have to say that the work is 
Well, much has happened. It is still far from finished. There is some major unfinished business for the church of Jesus Christ in the world. And that primarily focuses on those who have never heard in the 1040 window. I keep this map up on my wall in the office because that red area represents those who today will never have an opportunity to hear about Christ unless somebody goes and tells them. You see, there's good things happening in 10,000 ponds, if we can call a people group a pond. There's, there's ripples, there's waves, there's even tsunamis of God's revival and new work that he's doing. And we praise him for all of that. But the challenge is that there are still 6,000 ponds that nothing is happening in at all. There is no ripple of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so somebody, either you or I or somebody else, is going to have to cross a cultural barrier and go into those 6,000 ponds and drop a pebble for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if we don't do this, we are dishonoring our master. What does your son or daughter say about you when they just clean two of the dishes and leave the kitchen? They're saying that you're not very important and that their will is more important than your will because you told them to do all the dishes. And so Jesus says the day before he died, He says to his father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. My friends, this is how you and I can bring our Savior glory. By working to finish the job that he's given us to do. Why is there so much unfinished business? I I ask myself that almost every day. Why is it that 2.7 billion people still live without reach and access to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's because we haven't lifted up our eyes to see the harvest, as Jesus tells his disciples to do in 35. He says, you need to keep your eye on the ball. You need to lift your eyes out of your own circumstances and your own stomach, frankly, and take a look at somebody else. Or maybe it's information overload that has just lulled us to sleep. Did you know that August 12th, 2009 was Information Overload Awareness Day? I'd never heard of that before. I think this was the second annual one. And they announced at that that meeting that each 24 hours brings us 1 billion new web pages and 100 billion emails are sent every 24 hours. And so Tom Eric of the Indianapolis Star wrote, with so much deemed important, it's tempting to tune out all of the noise and decide that nothing is important. And maybe maybe that's your problem today. Is you're just, this is all just in your ears, blah, 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 blah. And all you want to do is just shut your ears and go about your life. Because you've just had too much. That's why we're in church today. Because we want God's word and his spirit to stir us up to love and good deeds. The deeds that he has prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in. And if you're too busy with other things, then maybe you're just too busy. And maybe you need to do some triage of your activities as an individual or as a family. And and maybe you need to take a look at this log and say, you know, lots of people are working here. They could move this side of the log and, and I'm here with them now. But maybe I need to shift some of my energy, some of my attention. Or maybe I myself need to go and join Paul on this side of the log or else, my friends, we're never going to get the log moved. And that's what finishing the task is all about. So what kind of work are you finishing? Maybe you need, as Richard Stearns of Compassion says it, to fill your plate with richer fare. 
And those are our three questions this morning. Whose will are you living for? What kind of food are you eating? And what kind of work are you finishing? And here's what I'm trying to get at this morning through this text and through the example of Jesus. Is that it's possible to know a lot about God and it's possible to live a holy life and even be in right relationship with your neighbor. It's even possible to be sharing Christ with everything that moves around you and yet not finishing the work of God. What are we to make of the 2.7 billion who have never heard? Who's responsible? We all are, if we're claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, make no mistake, God is going to get this job done. And in a sense, it does not depend on you or me. We've read the end of the book already, as Josh referred to. And we've seen that scene in heaven where there will be people from every nation and tribe and tongue worshiping the Lamb of God. He's going to do it. But he might have to use somebody else if we're not involved. And God actually is raising up laborers from around the world. There are now missionary movements in South America and in Africa and in India and Korea that are sending out even more missionaries than we have from America. And that's a wonderful thing. It's not all on our shoulders. But let me remind you that God has given the American church more resources than he's given any church anywhere in the world throughout all of history. And God is going to ask us one day, what have you done with that to finish this job of moving this log of making disciples of all nations? So what does finishing mean for us as a church, for you as an individual? Well, I don't know specifically, but I do know that something is going to have to change. If it's the same old, same old, even good things, what we're going to have is just a bunch of people pushing on this side of the log and very few people on that side. Evangelicals give 2% of their income to God and only 2% of that goes to foreign missions. So it means that on this side of the log, we're investing 0.04% of our money. Something in our giving has got to change. Something in our praying has got to change. And something in our going is going to have to change. You know, you met the missionaries today and each one of them are going to a strategic task to be involved in reaching unreached peoples. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, there are plenty of unreached people groups left. There's 6,000 of them out there. We need more laborers. Peter Ritchie just told us of another group in southern Angola, a nomadic group that nobody is working with because it's so difficult to work with them. Where are those laborers going to come from? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, you need to listen And I would love to talk to you afterwards if God is leading you to perhaps be one of those that would get up and move yourself. It's a long process and we'll help you through that. But we need more people on that side of the log. But if the Holy Spirit is not starting to thrust you out as a goer, then you've only got one other choice, I think. And that's that you need to be a sender. You can be a goer, a sender, or a sinner. One who does not follow Jesus. And what might that look like? I want to encourage you this morning that you can make a difference from where you're at right here in Indianapolis. Here's a picture that was taken just last month of the very first full Azeri Bible being dedicated by the leading Christians of that nation. And do you know how this happened? In part through College Park Church's involvement. Through your giving of an offering several years ago, this job was enabled. And now we have a tool to help us reach this unreached people group of 35 million people. Praise God for that. God has made a difference in Cambodia through College Park Church. When we began our partnership with World Relief there, 
About one half of one percent of the country was Christian. And that needle has actually moved in the last five years. Now over one percent of the country is Christian. And that doesn't seem like much, but it's a lot. And it didn't all happen because of us, but it happened in part because we connected with World Relief that's doing a significant ministry in that country. And so now we've targeted the Yadav people in India. We want God to do the same thing there. But what we need is congregational involvement. We need you guys to get involved and to help push this thing across the finish line. And if we could get 3,000 people doing one thing to reach unreached peoples, we would make a difference in all of these people groups. This is why this year we're going to be announcing in a couple of weeks, giving you more information about our Christmas offering. We've targeted an area in West Africa where the Muslim North is pushing down. And we're going to be involved in establishing a hospital in northern Togo for this very reason, so that we can finish the work that God has given us to do and reach Muslims in West Africa with the gospel. We've made it very easy for you to get involved. As Josh mentioned, there's a card that we've designed. This is just a little tool to help you. But we would encourage everybody that considers this their church and considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ to do something with this card. And that would be simply to select one of the partnerships or missionaries and then select the level of commitment. It could be as simple as just getting their newsletter and praying for them. And there are deeper levels of involvement that you can have. What we're going to do in a few moments when we sing our final song is actually pass the offering plates. And I want you to fill this out as a family prayerfully. If you're ready to do it today, great. Put it in the offering plate. But this would be your commitment to God to be involved in reaching the unreached people and finishing the task that he's given us to do. There are lots of ways to be involved. There are other ways than this. You can be an online missionary. Go to the table out there and learn more about that. You can go to Urbana. You can, you can sponsor a student in Nicaragua or Ukraine or Kenya. You can come to a banquet that we're having in two weeks to tell you more about that ministry in Kenya, to train national leaders to, to reach the unreached parts of Africa with the gospel. You can adopt an international student at IUPUI and have them into your home for a couple of meals during the school year. If you want to do any of that stuff, just write it on the card and we'll contact you and tell you how to do it. But, my friends, you need to do something to pull your weight to move this log and finish the task that God has given us to do. How can you do that? You might be saying, I am just too busy to add one more thing to my schedule. And I know you're busy. But let me suggest that I I don't think you probably want to go down that path very far with God. To say, God, I was just too busy to get involved in finishing this central job that you've given me to do. And, And let me just throw out a few words if you're having trouble with that concept that you're maybe not too busy. Uh, Fantasy football. Video games. We. Facebook. Twitter. Shopping. TV. If you did an audit of your 168 hours in the week, and if you say, I can't afford a half an hour to give to reaching the unreached, You don't want to present that report to your Savior. I think what you need to do and what I need to continually work at is doing triage of our lives and and to, to make some room on our plates for the richer fare of doing the will of the Father and of Him who sent me. Those things aren't wrong, but listen to this quote. Time is the treasure of life. Time is life. Time is the willing sacrifice that you offer up to the worship of what you love. Don't tell me what you love. Tell me 
where you spend your time and I'll tell you what you love. Do you love your Father in heaven? And are you serious about following Jesus? Then you will find some time in your schedule to do something to make an impact, even from where you are, on those who have never heard. Jesus showed us the path very clearly. He said right at the end of his life, how was Jesus able to finish the task that the Father gave him? It was not easy. But this is what Jesus said, for them, and that includes you and me, I sanctify myself. Jesus set himself apart for this task. He was no longer going to live. In fact, he never did live for himself, but he lived for the will of his father. And he set himself apart so that he could accomplish that will. And that's all that this is. This is a tool to help you sanctify yourself, to set yourself apart and to make a commitment, to make a difference by the grace of God in taking the message of Christ to the unreached and finishing the work he's given us to do. We need to do what Joanne Shetler did, who was a farm girl in California. And she wrote in her book, And the Word Came with Power. She said, I didn't want to go to the mission field, but I knew that God was calling me to do it. And so what did I have to do? She said, I said to self, self, you are going to do what God wants you to do and not what you want to do. And she ended up picking herself up by the collar, dragging herself under the Spirit's direction to the Philippines. And God used her in a marvelous way to bring a whole people group to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what you and I need to do today. We need to grab ourselves by the collar and say, Self, you're going to live now for the will of the Father and do whatever it's going to take to finish the task that he has entrusted us with. I got a call late Tuesday night from a missionary. We had just gone to bed and turned the lights out. And I always hate to get calls late from missionaries because it's usually never good news. She was calling from the back of an ambulance. She was distraught. I could hear wailing in the background. There had been a family that lived in Afghanistan, grew up there, one of the large, great unreached people groups of the world, 15 million people. But this family had fled their country and had come to another country, and there three of the siblings had found Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the missionary had been discipling two of the girls and one of the boys, leading them in Bible studies. Their father was deathly ill with cancer and they had been just Monday, this past Monday, to the hospital to visit him. And on their way home from... On their way home from the hospital, they were in a terrible motorcycle accident and Lydia was critically injured. The missionary spent four and a half hours in the hospital because the care is very poor, pumping air into her lungs to try to get her to survive. And she didn't. And so her dead body was in the ambulance as this missionary called me. And I could hear the wailing in the background. And then I heard this missionary say to the other sister, Don't worry, it's okay, as she said through tears, because Lydia is now with Jesus. And that's what it's all about, my friends. That is doing the will of the Father. A girl from Indiana gave up her will and her life so that she could go and reach Afghans with the gospel. And she would tell you today through tears that that is her food and her drink. And I can tell you that that's what it means to finish the work. How about you? What are you going to do? Who is going to be involved in this task? Let me suggest that it's going to be only those who are hungry for the food of intimacy with their Savior through the mingling of His will with yours. 
and to care only about one thing in life, and that is doing His will and finishing His work. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, how we thank You that You sanctified Yourself so that we might be truly sanctified, that we might find salvation through Your blood. God, I pray that today You would take away the laziness, the confusion, the deception that our flesh and the world has brought on us, and that You would break through that fog and show us clearly how to invest these few days on earth that You've given us in doing Your will and to finish Your work. And show us, Father, that herein is our joy and our delight and our strength. We ask for the sake of the nations and for Your glory among them, Lord Jesus, in Your name. Amen.